this morning, we're going to be talking about the closing chapter from Colossians chapter 4, which uh, talks about life on mission. And, but it's life on mission maybe not the way you might think at first. Uh, it's life on mission that is organically tied to life together as a church. Right? As we go along the way, we are participating in the work of mission uh, as we do life together. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Um, so you can open up to Colossians chapter 4 in verse 2. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, it should be on page 985. In Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Christian is the, the main character, and uh, one of his companions he has on the earlier portion of the book is Faithful, and they come to this town called Vanity Fair. You may have heard of this story at some point. Um, and uh, it's sort of a hyperbolic place, this Vanity Fair, with lots of amusements, and everyone is pressing for something that's going to entertain them. And um, the people there did not like Christian or Faithful, and ultimately, um, uh, that is where Faithful was martyred. He died in that place. And it was because of the, the hatred of those people towards Christian and Faithful, um, because they just were not going to go in the same direction that the people there were going. Now, uh, you know, the fair was a danger to pilgrims, and so as you go through the, the, the storyline of Pilgrim's Progress, there's a path, right, to the celestial city. And uh, it's all an allegory, but why would the road go through this dangerous place of Vanity Fair? Right? We often avoid danger. You know, we want to protect ourselves and our families from danger. So why would the road go through such a wicked place? In, in the midst of trial, there was hope, though. Right? It was there that Hopeful, who became a new companion to Christian, um, placed his faith in, in the Son and, and became uh, a believer. So Christian uh, and hopeful become companions as they continue on the, the road of this story. And this storyline is an image of somebody who's saved from the fire, right, just as each of us were. You know, our journey in this life is about serving our king, but as we go, uh, it's also about a life that is on mission, but for Christian, it's not like he was going there to be an evangelist. He was going on that road heading to where he was headed, but he had an impact on the life of Hopeful by just being who he was in that place. Okay. So Paul's letter to the Colossians was written to a church in a small town, All right, they, as they were living their lives. And as Paul makes all of these seemingly incidental references at the end of the letter to the Colossians, they give us a picture of what life was like for them and what was important to them. And Christians in the first century, you know, their, um, their ordinary lives would have included prayer and the word. But then we also see these references in this section to faithfulness, encouragement, hospitality, and grace. And so Paul references these qualities as he encourages the individuals in the church. In the first half of chapter 3, just to set up some context, it was about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. 
And then the second half of chapter 3 gives these examples of what living together in this new life looks like. And then towards the end of chapter 3 and into the beginning of chapter 4, it gives some specific life relationships and how we live together as Christians in those relationships. But then chapter 4 wraps everything up. It gives us a window into the importance of this mission that we've been sent on and the propagation of the gospel and how that's integrated into our everyday lives. So, summing up chapters 3 and 4, you could say, having been united with Christ, there's then implications for your life, for your mission and direction in life. And so, this passage is not an exhaustive exposition on the subject of living on mission. Instead, it just gives us a window into the lives of these local believers at that time and of Paul's communication with them in light of what they were called to do as they shared life together. The, the mission is organically tied to our life as we live it out. And so there's actually three different sections here. Um, each one could be a sermon of its own. Now, the first two sections I actually preached on several months ago. So uh, I'm going to briefly cover those for context, but then most of the time it's going to be spent in verses 7 through 18 as we finish up the book. All right, so these sections, first we have this prayer for the mission, and then living wisely for the sake of mission in the second section, verses 5 and 6, and then the third section, this mission is applied within the local church. Okay. So let's read this now. I'll start in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Eustace or Justice. Right? These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, 
see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so here we have a window into some of these relationships in the early church and Paul's encouragement to them. So, let's look at verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So the the emphasis in these verses is on prayer and proclamation. Paul says to pray for open doors or opportunities to share the gospel. And then he asks for his communication of the gospel to be clear. And put these together, and Paul has his aim set on mission. This echoes chapter 1, where Paul opens up with praying for the Colossians, and here in chapter 4, he again encourages them to pray. So, prayer. How are we to pray? We're to pray steadfastly, watchfully, and with thanksgiving. So first, steadfastly, consistent, constant, without ceasing, to, without losing heart, or watchfully, with mental alertness, knowing the times, knowing your community, and with understanding. And then thanksgiving, knowing how God has provided, knowing how God will work in the lives of those for whom you are praying. So prayer is foundational. And then proclamation, that's the aim of, that, that Paul is looking towards. He specifically asks for open doors and for clear communication of the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel. And so open doors. Ask that the Lord would provide opportunities to share the gospel with people in your own life. Ask that the Spirit would go before you to prepare hearts to receive the gospel. The Holy Spirit works in hearts. It's God's work, and at the same time, we are called to participate in that work. And we should lean into that with a desire to see opportunities open before us. Have you ever been in a place, you know, you're going through the airport, you're interacting with somebody you've never met before, and then you walk away from them, and you're like, wow, I should have shared the gospel at that moment, right? Prepare your heart to be ready for those situations. Pray asking for those situations, right? Desire it. Look for those opportunities. All right, clear communication, all right, so be prepared to clearly communicate the gospel. Right. Do you understand what the gospel is well enough to communicate it to someone? Or are you listening to them well enough to understand where they're understanding and where they're getting confused when you talk to them? Because that's a part of clear communication, understanding the other person. You know, evangelistic methods and outlines can be useful, and maybe that's a good foundation for understanding, but... It's more important, or it's, it's important to learn more than just an outline, right? Get to the point where you can communicate the gospel clearly and aim for intersecting the unique situations that you find each person in, 
right? So learn the narrative of redemption, the storyline. Think of it in terms of the story, right? The, the gospel is set in the context of history. It's not an outline, and certainly you can boil it down to major points, but it's set in the context of something that actually happened, right? That God entered into time, entered into our world, and redeemed a people for himself, right? Think in terms of the story and be able to communicate, as Paul says, the mystery of Christ, right? If you want to be clear, then take some time to think about how it's going to be understood. And to do that, know the gospel. Develop uh, a habit of preaching the gospel to yourself in your own life, right? I, I hope that it's truly good news for you. And let it turn over in your mind. What does the gospel say about God and his character? What does the gospel say about us and sin and our unwillingness to trust God? What does it say about Christ's redemption? And going back to chapter 1, Colossians 1, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right there, that word mystery is used again. Right? Christ is the center of the message. And the good news is that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? Paul repeats this again in chapter 4, calling the gospel the mystery of Christ. So let's remember, first, the declaration is supported through prayer and thanksgiving. And then second, that we declare the mystery of Christ. We want to make it clear. Okay, second, living wisely for the sake of mission. So let's read in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here, there is this call to walk in wisdom, redeem the time, and have gracious speech. So, let's think of each of those in turn. Walk in wisdom. Think carefully about our interactions with others. And being grounded in the Word, it's really a call for us to grow in holiness, grow in knowledge, grow in uh, spiritual formation through prayer, so that we are conformed to the image of Christ. And having been conformed to the image of Christ through the work of the Spirit and God's Word in our lives then our hearts are prepared to walk in wisdom as we interact with others, right? So prepare your mind through God's word, prepare your, your heart in prayer, and ultimately walk in wisdom, okay? The second point was to redeem the time. We, we use our time, do we use it wisely? Yeah, there's a yes there, good. That's good to hear. Uh, we often think we can put off things until tomorrow, don't we? Um, we should have some sense of urgency behind the gospel and behind the message. People get worked up about all sorts of things, don't they? Right? When you talk to somebody, what is it that they just are just can't wait to talk to you about? But for us, the good news should be urgent. Right? What are you passionate about in this life? What are your biggest concerns that come to your mind each week? And better yet, what are you feeding your mind each day? 
right? Redeem the time. Use it wisely. Don't feed your mind junk food. And I realize it's maybe an overused example for us recently. We, we've talked about it a lot. We've talked about social media, but I'm going to use it here because I think it's a very pressing example for us. You know, we need to know that the algorithm is feeding us what we want, not what we need. <laughs> okay? So often, we don't want what we need. And you have to have some discipline to stay away from the junk food, stay away from rock candy. Right? The solid food of the gospel is much better. So redeem the time. That just requires a little bit of discipline from us. Right? All right, gracious speech. Extend grace as you speak to others. And let your speech reflect a changed life in Christ. That's different from the world around you. What benefit is it to you if you, if you look like the world and the way you interact with people? Right? People speak harshly and they talk other, uh, over others because they want to get what they want. Right? They've learned that if they do that, they can force their will upon someone else. But that's not godly. And it's not necessarily going to produce a good result in the end if you just try to manipulate somebody into believing the gospel. Right? We communicate with a person as a creation of God, and as we deal with errors, we, we point out inconsistencies, recognizing the grace that God has shown to us, and our communication should be clear and engaging. So some think that there may be an apologetic aim in these verses, right? Make the gospel compelling and attractive for others by our conduct. And you can be tactful, gracious, and witty, and interesting, and still hold to truth, right? So we need to know that. <clears throat> Walk in wisdom, having prepared yourself through intentional prayer to focus on mission. Redeem the time, use your time wisely, and we should live urgently, taking advantage of the opportunities set before us. And then gracious speech, we communicate with grace. Now, you've probably heard the, the famous St. Francis quote, right? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, the only problem is he probably didn't say that. Uh, it's, a, it's an approximate quote. Uh, where they think they might have gotten that from is actually from the, the rules of the Franciscan order, which have, um, I'll quote a couple excerpts here. No brother should preach contrary to the form and regulation of the Holy Church unless it had been permitted by their minister. What that's saying is don't preach new and novel things. Don't, don't come up with your own new interpretation of things. And then it says um, that friars should preach according to their deeds. So the, the actual rule there is a little more holistic, right? Don't teach new things. And second, we should live consistently with what we teach. So be consistent. And that's true, right? If, if we claim to have, to have met the creator of the earth, the, the creator of the world and everything in it, and we claim that the, the message says that there is new life in Christ and that is the good news held out for you, then hopefully that would mean that there's some impact on, on your life in light of that good news. So, brothers and sisters, the gospel must be communicated with your words. 
the opposite of the St. Francis quote. But it's also true that our actions should be in line with what we claim to believe. And so it's not just about future eternal life. It's also about present new life. Okay? There's a present and a future aspect to the gospel and its impact on us. And sometimes we can be urgent and lack tact. And other times we can be cautious and thoughtful but lack a desire to engage with others. But we're called to both. And so God can use all kinds of gospel proclamations, but it's wise for us to consider urgency, grace, and engage in communication. Now, know your audience, because make sure they'll understand what you're saying. Don't just say something that um, no one will understand and then expect them to come to you and understand it. Right? Think that saying, well, I'm being bold, and they, they, they're lost. They don't understand what you're saying. Don't make others do the hard work of deciphering your message. Right? Engage them where they are. And speak to the individual and let your conduct reflect the new life that you claim to represent. So boldness and urgency are compatible with grace and wisdom. They do go together. Right. So, last section here, but we're going to spend a little more time than normal. You know, we, when, they, when they teach you about uh, speaking or preaching, they say, okay, if you're going to divide it into three sections, make sure that people understand they're about the same length, and that way you don't fool people. Well, I'll, I'll tell you up front, this is going to be a little longer than the last two sections. Okay. The mission applied within the local church. Now, th- this may seem odd. Like, why am I saying mission here in light of encouragement in light of hospitality and greeting. Okay, we're, we're going to try to make that clear here in the next few minutes. So the ending of Paul's letters are this window through which we can see the church on mission. And we've already seen the importance of prayer and the word in previous sections of Colossians. And here we find them again. He also mentions in this section faithfulness, encouragement, hospitality, and grace. And these may just sound like everyday virtues, but they are qualities representing Christ's new community. And so the church, as we live together, as we do life together, it displays Christ's work in the world. And these virtues they exhibit are aimed at proclamation, right? So Paul, you know, for Paul, proclamation is just a natural aspect of the church being the church. Right? And it's undergirded by these other things of being the church. So we're going to talk about that. Right? The, the mission is organically tied to new life. Right? So we see three groups of people mentioned in this section. There's those who carried the letter from Paul to Colossae. There's those who were with Paul. And then there's those who received the letter okay? in and around Colossae. So first two folks, Tychicus, he was a messenger, a fellow servant. He's mentioned in five New Testament books. There's Onesimus. He's a faithful and dear brother. He's the subject of the epistle to Philemon. And then there's those with Paul. Aristarchus, he was a companion of Paul during the latter uh, portion of Acts uh, 17 to 20 through, uh, he's in verse, or chapter 27 as well. Uh, there's 
John Mark. And this shows that there's been some reconciliation between Paul and Mark at this point. There's Eustace or Justice or Jesus Justice or Joshua Justice, depending on what, how you want to translate these names, right? But uh, all these folks are offering comfort to Paul where he's at. But we also see Epaphras. He was the, likely the evangelist to Colossae. And he's now a companion of Paul. He's mentioned in Philemon as well. And Luke here is called a physician, and he wrote Luke and Acts. He may have also been the scribe of 2 Timothy. And then there's Demas. And from 2 Timothy, we uh, hear that he left Paul and loved this present world. Right? So those, those are the ones who are with Paul. And then there's those in and around Colossae. So there's the church in Laodicea. So there was another sister church in the next town over. And it says also Nympha and the church in her house. Some folks think this may have been a second church, maybe in Laodicea. Um, and then there's also Archippus. It was also mentioned in Philemon, so likely a member of the church there in Colossae. So look for them as I read the passage this time. But also think carefully about Paul's encouragement to each of them. Right? What does Paul say to each one about their faith and calling? So starting in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So as Paul is giving these greetings, he's saying things about them that either reflect their character or, or uh, encourage them to live in faith. And his emphasis he includes the prayer, the word, faithfulness, encouragement, hospitality, grace. And notice how all these things, they're really about spiritual formation. It's who we're called to be in holiness. It's 
that new life that we have in Christ, prayer, word, faithfulness, greeting, hospitality, and grace, being on mission is not just about being busy. And it's not just about getting things done. It starts with spiritual formation. It continues with spiritual formation. And it results in spiritual formation. So going about the work is set in the context of the Spirit working within them toward their growth. And when God calls people to follow him in the work, he calls them to be conformed to the image of his son. And this is lived out in practical everyday lives in the church. And we see that in how Paul addresses these everyday Christians in the first century in the context in which we too should be serving in the local church. So let's go through each of these now. Prayer. Remember Paul's prayer for them in chapter 1? There's actually a lot of overlap with, with some of the introductory ideas of chapter 1 and the concluding ideas here of chapter 4. So I'm going to reference back there a few times. Um, but halfway through chapter 1, he has this prayer for them. It is so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here he lays out an exposition and the, I think that's a, a background to what we see there in chapter 4. Several of the same themes from chapter 3 and 4 are found in that opening prayer. A desire to see God's people grow to maturity and wisdom, to bear fruit, and to be strengthened by the Father, giving thanks for what God has done, and understanding the true impact of the gospel, a new life, and being called into a new kingdom. And so Paul wanted to see them grow into maturity and wisdom in Christ. And he says uh, the same of Epaphras in chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Beloved, can we follow that example? Right, work hard for the sake of your brothers and sisters. Epaphras, like Paul, struggled in prayer for them. He worked hard for them. And he mentions prayer in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, right, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray also for us. And again, in verse 18, he says, remember my chains which may be an allusion to, to prayer, to pray for Paul in his situation. So the conclusion is that prayer was central to the life of the church. And we see it sprinkled throughout those chapters. And it was central to who they were and how they lived and to their, how they lived out their faith, right? how they sought to fulfill the mission that they had been called to in Christ. It was an underlying assumption that prayer would be a foundation. 
So then we have the Word. Now, the Word of Christ, as mentioned here in Colossians, it captures both the written Word of God and then also the truth that it contains, the message of Christ. In, in verse 3 of chapter 4, we're called to declare the mystery of Christ. We saw about, back in chapter 1 as well about the mystery of Christ. In, in 4.16, it says that they were hearing the apostles' instruction in their fellowship. So Christ is the foundation of the church. The good news is the message of Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And through the word of God, it's through his word that we know of Christ. Right, so this word of Christ should be at the center of our fellowship, just as it says in 3.16, that the word of God would dwell richly within us. And just as it also says in 3, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. How can the peace of Christ rule our hearts apart from, apart from the word in prayer having its effect within us? Okay, faithfulness. Paul commends the faithfulness of Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. Tychicus is mentioned in Acts, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He likely carried the letter to Colossae. He was a faithful brother. And when you look around you, can you praise brothers and sisters for their faithfulness? Do you know folks who are faithful? Right. Seek to grow in faithfulness personally and seek to praise those who are being faithful. And it talks about Onesimus in a similar way. He's called a faithful and beloved brother, one of you. Paul praises him for his faithfulness. There's encouragement. Right? It's a shared mission. They're to encourage one another along the way. Right. Going back to Pilgrim's Progress, that's what faithful and Christian were doing. They were encouraging one another. Right. So, Paul sends Tychicus and Onesimus to encourage your hearts in verse 8. And they moved between the churches. They're, as they did that, their, their role was to encourage them in Christ. And Aristarchus, Mark, Eustace, they're all a comfort to Paul in verse 11. Also, the churches are invited to share their letters with one another so that both would benefit. And then Archippus, in verse 17, is encouraged to fulfill the ministry that he has received from the Lord. There is an encouragement to faithfulness there. So we see this today, you know, we, uh, as we have visitors from other places, we had a missions emphasis a few weeks ago where we had somebody come from another part of the world and tell us what God was doing in that place. And we should actively participate in that. We can be encouraged and be an encourager in that instance and share what Christ is doing among you as you go to other places. Okay, Hospitality. It could also be support, but at least in terms of supporting ministry efforts or missionary efforts in verse 10. And there's also the housing of church gatherings in verse 15. Right? We're to welcome fellow believers. We're to open our homes to others for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel and for the purpose of encouragement. As a place for prayer and for the word, be hospitable, be willing to care for and support others. Be willing to open your home. 
and then grace. The ending of the book, grace be with you. Now, grace is also from the opening of the letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a common term, uh, but in the context of a Christian epistle, right? this grace is God's grace that is to be with them. Right? Paul's wish is that God's grace would be manifest in them. It's an expression of the desire to see God's favor poured out upon the recipient. Just as Paul opened the letter, um, also in verse 6, it says, uh, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as also it does among you. So he's showing the, the work and the fruit of that work there. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So, Paul both opens and closes the letter expressing this firm desire to see them grow to maturity in Christ, that God's grace would be upon them. Do you see how all these things are tied together in the gospel? Again, tying back to that chapter 1, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. Right? As the good news of Christ is proclaimed and believed, lives are changed. And that's what happened in Colossae, as a new church sprang up there through the work of Epaphras. Right? As, as the gospel is proclaimed in our community, lives will be changed. So let's pray that the church would be strengthened in prayer and the word and that that would bring forth faithfulness, encouragement, hospitality and grace in our lives and having that foundation that we would walk in wisdom, that we would redeem the time as we carry the message of the gospel to our community right? and that's life on mission it's, it's as we walk by the way right? that we're to be about the work in this place. Okay. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for having given us the hope of Christ and that we would help us proclaim this mystery to our neighbors. Help us to see that as a joy. And it's something that is a true joy to us. Lord, if we have hardened our hearts against that joy in Christ, I pray that you would renew our spirit. Help us to have a, a hope in you that pours forth in a urgent gospel message that desires to see your name proclaimed. And Lord, help us to be your church as we walk together. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.